When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TBR is Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations, hence the TBR, for readers of all stripes. Are you tired of wasting money on books you end up not loving? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. Visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Hello, and welcome back to When in Romance, a really good place to be right now. <laughs> um, where we can talk about romance novels and even the crappy stuff that's happening in the romance world, but still be in our happy place. I am Jess. And I am Trisha. And today is Thursday, March 19th, and we're recording episode 55. We are indeed. And it's kind of amazing, Jess, because... The calendar tells me we recorded one of these episodes two weeks ago, mm-hmm. but my mind tells me it's been a year and a half. Maybe five. Could be. I was <laughs> trying to be generous, but you <laughs> could be right about that. The landscape has changed significantly over mm-hmm. the course of the last uh, couple of weeks, and we know that um, we do know that that is impacting many of you in all kinds of different ways. Uh, we will mention first up right here at the top of the show that Book Riot is uh, following the bookish impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic, and we're collecting all of our bookish coverage of COVID-19 in one story stream, which is, if you don't know, a post that collects all the relevant posts and just lists them straight out. So you just kind of a one-stop shop for that coverage. If you visit the site, if you visit bookriot.com, um, the post will be right there straight up in front of you. It's going to be under the header COVID-19 updates from the bookish world. So there are actually some pretty significant economic impacts, book world impacts of this pandemic. So if you are trying to keep up on that news, and some of it actually is is nice. So <laughs> so you can visit and, and maybe that's a good thing. You know, like, um, as Jess mentioned, we're recording a few days before this will actually come out. But um, Audible is launching Audible Stories for children and teens while school is out. So those are free audiobooks. Um, Haymarket Books is offering free ebooks. So some of it is good news for whatever that's worth. It's it's the kind of news we need right now so that <laughs> yes so that we can keep above the, that level. <laughs> yeah, that is 100% true. And you know, I think we are not, you know, ignorant either to the impact that this kind of uh just unprecedented phenomenon is having on both booksellers and on authors. Jess, I know a festival that is near and dear to your heart got canceled which I'm sure was a little discouraging for everyone involved. Yeah, it was. And the weird thing about it was that it was probably the first big thing in the area to be canceled. So there was a very split reaction to it. And then all of a sudden the dominoes started falling. And it was like, if we had waited, 
Yeah. Then there would have been a much different response. It would have been, why did you wait so long? <laughs> um, actually, some people still asked why we waited so long. But um, yeah, it was... I was very sad to not be able to hang out and chat with a few romance authors who were going to come hang out with us that weekend, but I'm glad that everybody is being safe and sticking to where they can be. Christina Lauren, actually, um, who's the author pair that I was going to probably spend the most time with because I was doing a panel with them, have been doing some um, Instagram uh, live stuff, which has been fun to watch. <laughs> yeah, they're delightful in general. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really good point because they have a book called The Honey Don't List coming out next week, uh, which I will I will be honest, I have not read yet. But I think it's worth mentioning and worth noting that for all of the authors that are hit by this, those who have books that are coming out in the mm -hmm. next couple of months are really going to feel this impact because a, a lot of authors do, whether they're big or small, do some kind of press, mm -hmm. some kind of events, even if, you know, all they're doing is local at this point. It's worth maybe remembering when you're thinking about if I, this is, and boy, this, we, again, we're fully cognizant of the fact that this is hitting everybody hard. Mm -hmm. So if you have some book dollars and if you don't totally understand, go to your library. That's amazing. And by your library, I mean your electronic library, <laughs> go to your, your OverDrive or your Libby uh, apps and uh, go there. But if you do have some dollars to spend on books, it, it may be worth at least taking a look and seeing what's coming out right now. Mm -hmm. Some of those folks are just not – I was talking to an author friend of mine recently and, and he's going to lose out on pretty significant amount of money from not being able to attend these kinds of festivals and and events, both because of speaker fees but also because of – lost book sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah, signings. Signings are big. And you know, like, um, I've, I've heard some authors joke that, you know, the signings are about meeting the people not really selling the books, because half of the people who go to signings don't buy new books, but they're a big way to get new people into someone's audience by just bringing them into into contact with them. And since nobody's coming into contact with anybody right now, um, it's a little hard. So yeah, definitely keep an eye out. And there, there are definitely ways to do that. I mean, obviously, sort of curating your feeds on social media to just be book recommendations isn't quite easy to do, but it might be for everyone's health going by. But there's also a few other things that you can do. Yeah, um, the Book Riot Insiders, uh, if you are a member of that, which, again, it, we might still be running a free trial. So so check it out if we are. But even if we're not, it's not a terribly expensive option. And there is a new release index there that's curated by Liberty Hardy, who is wonderful and very on top of things. So that's another option mm -hmm. if you can't curate your entire social media feed, just to <laughs> focus on that. <laughs> Yeah, and we know that booksellers who are closing for the sake of um, everyone's health and well-being are also going to be dramatically impacted by this sort of thing. So if your local bookseller happens to deliver, particularly if they're maybe – I mean, everybody gets to make their own choices, but if they're also trying to pay their staff right now, mm -hmm. uh, that is a thing that is worth keeping an eye on as well. Yeah, and like my region isn't – very heavily hit right now we're more in the stages of 
divide and conquer, I guess. Um, so if you're in a region where you haven't been ordered to shelter in place, also see if those libraries are offering curbside pickup. Um, I, or libraries. See, I'm, I'm in library zone. See if those bookstores are offering curbside pickup, um, because that's another way that you can support them, um, without having to, you know, be in, in the building. Yeah, and others ship. Um, I was actually looking, one of my favorite bookstores that I visited last year was one called The Haunted Bookshop in Mobile, Alabama. Um, and it's so genre focused. And genre fiction, I think, in some ways offers a different kind of escape um, than literary fiction does. And the staff is so knowledgeable. They're so great. Um, Angela Corals, who's the owner, actually is a romance author, but her staff covers sci-fi and fantasy and children's books and all kinds of stuff. And I was just checking to say today to see if they ship, which they do. Um, mm -hmm. So no matter kind of where you are, what you're doing, do, do check and see. Um, again, that's The Haunted Bookshop, which is a personal favorite of mine. We know The Ripped Bodice is also has a robust online presence mm -hmm. um, for romance readers. So, you know, just, just maybe take a peek out there and see. Um, again, we know that a lot of folks right now don't have – the disposable income and are suffering just as much as, as anybody else. But if you happen to be a person that does have a little bit of disposable income to, to throw one way or another, and that's where you want to put it, those are, those are some options. Yeah. And, and like Trisha mentioned before, definitely check out your uh, local library's online offerings. Um, if, if you're in a situation where the staff hasn't been sent home, I know there are several libraries that I know of where they've closed to the public, but people are still reporting, which means the people who are buying the books might still be there. And if there are books that could be available for you that they don't yet have, you can always ask them and that can show how how valued their collections are. Um, so I definitely encourage that because um, then you're not just buying one book from for one author, um, you're sharing it with other people who might then buy other books by that author. So check out what's available at your library. Excellent. And also, uh, I think we're at a point where we need to do an ad spot, Jess, but I just realized that I should also do a disclaimer because I did not realize that this was our ad spot when I was saying nice things about Christina Lauren. So <laughs> uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to issue that disclaimer and hand it off to you. All right. And with on that note... Thank you to um, The Honey Don't List by Christina Lauren and Simon & Schuster. Um, from the New York Times bestselling author of The Unhoneymooners comes a delightfully charming love story about what happens when two assistants tasked with keeping a rocky relationship from explosion start to feel sparks of their own. So in The Honey Don't List, Carrie Douglas has worked for home remodeling and design gurus Melissa and Rusty Tripp for nearly a decade. A country girl at heart, Carrie started in their first store at 16 and, more than anyone would suspect, has helped them build an empire. With a new show and a book about to launch, the Tripps are on the verge of superstardom. There is only one problem. America's favorite couple can't stand each other. James McCann, MIT graduate and engineering genius, was originally hired as a structural engineer, but the job isn't all he thought it'd be. The last straw. Both he and Carrie must go on book tour with the trips and keep the wheels from falling off the proverbial bus. Unfortunately, neither of them is in any position to quit. 
Carrie needs health insurance, and James has been promised the role of a lifetime if he can just keep the couple on track for a few more weeks. While road tripping with the trips up the West Coast, Carrie and James vow to work together to keep their boss's secrets hidden and have their own job secure. But if they stop playing along and start playing for keeps, they may have the chance to build something beautiful together. So from the hilariously zany and heartfelt Christina Lauren comes a romantic comedy that proves if it's broke, you might as well fix it. That's adorable. So once again, thank you to The Honey Don't List by Christina Lauren. That was amazing. And also, Jess, do you want to just take a quick second and explain to everyone how delightful it is that you have birds chirping behind you right now? Because (laughs) I think that it may drive Jen, our sound editor, a little bit batty, but I almost feel like we just need to leave all the birds in. I feel like people might need the birds right now. You know, if you want the birds, the birds are fine. There is one place in my house where I can record without getting any noise from outside, and it is sitting in the middle of my hallway. So it was the birds or the cars. So let's go with the birds. And like you mentioned, daylight savings time has happened. It's earlier where you are. Like, Mm -hmm. the days are getting longer. I kind of like the birds. I feel like it's nice. (laughs) They're a nice soundtrack to my chatter. They're just like a little bit more hopeful than so much of the world right now, I think. Indeed. So anyway. Cheers to the birds Cheers uh, to the that, birds. that Jess is bringing to this podcast today. I hope you like them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. All right. So we started out with like major bummer news. Uh, I guess we're moving towards like sort of less. Uh, no. I, mm. um, so. <laughs> yeah. Some medium? Middle? <laughs> middle bummer? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we are in the world we're in today, I guess this is middle bummer news. <laughs> And as I think you re- referenced, Jess, I, the, you referenced in our last episode that, that the Rift Bodice report was going to come out. You did a piece for Book Riot. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of your big takeaways related to it? Sure. So if you haven't seen it, the Rift Bodice State of Racial Diversity in Romance Publishing for 2019 report came out on March 10th, which was oof, two Tuesdays ago. And it's the fourth report put together by the Ripped Bodice um, looking at distinctly racial diversity in traditional romance publishing. So um, we aren't talking about people who self-publish. We aren't talking about some of the smaller kind of boutique publishers. Um, We're distinctly talking about the big fives, publishing imprints, or other distribution processes, and some of the independent large publishers that publish distinctly romance novels. So there were, I think, 11 publishers who self-reported. And then the wonderful people at The Ripped Bodice did the rest of the work themselves, gathering the information for a little over 2,400 books published. And they did a lot of interesting math And uh, we can say one thing. It's better than it was. Yes. That's that's the only thing we can say. Out of romance publishing, 8.3 of every 100 books published by the leading romance publishers in 2019 were written by people of color. And that is encapsulating 
all people of color, all people who identify as authors of color. So that's not just Black authors. That's not just Latinx authors. That's not just Asian American or Asian Canadian authors. That is all of them combined. 8.3 out of every 100 books. Now, if we look at the previous three years, they were six and seven. (laughs) So (laughs) I guess that's something. Mm, Yes, it is. (laughs) It is more. (laughs) I think it's grim. It's grim. But I will say to the extent that it's grim, to be very clear, it continues to be a massive problem and we cannot ignore it. And we will continue to keep talking about it here because we know that. I will say if you are, for whatever reason in your life right now, desperate for some good news, mm-hmm. there are some examples of publishers who have made the kind of progress that it seems like it has to be intentional. Mm-hmm. It seems like it has to be, whether it's pressure, honestly, from this report mm-hmm. or from outlets, maybe like Book Riot, who have, have pushed for more inclusion and diversity in all genres since, I mean, it's a guiding principle of the site mm-hmm. or, you know, that might be inflating our influence a little bit, but <laughs> I think there are some places where you can look at a publisher like Karina press, which mm-hmm. was at 20.7 books this year. Last year they were at 2.5. Yeah. So that is a massive increase. They, they're for the first year they were at 5.4, but other than that, they've been down at two and a half and have, massively increased. Berkeley mm-hmm. has gone up every year and they're at 17%. And again, you know, for a publisher that's in Penguin Random House, it's the biggest publisher in America, they could be doing better. They should be. And hopefully they will. But that is growth. They went from essentially four to seven to 10 and now to 17. Kensington is has consistently seen growth. They went from about 12.7 and 12.6 in the first few years to 22.8 last year and 27.5. So they're getting they're over a quarter now and they're getting a little bit closer to a third, which again, if you look at the representation of people of color in the country, mm-hmm. there still is work to be done there for sure. But it does seem like there are specific places where people are making an effort that honestly very well could be pushed by the Rift Bodice Report. I mean, to me, that looks like an impact of this report. I, we will never know if that's exactly what it is, but to me, that's what it looks like. It really does. And, you know, there are the places that are not going to change. Um, I don't know what's going on with Tool and, and Bethany, but we can just assume that they are kind of diversity lost causes. Yeah, both of which had a zero this year. Like a literal, actual zero. Zero. None. None. How? How? Mm-hmm. We're not going to ask that. Um, and, you know, some of them, the numbers are small because the lines are humongous. Like, I don't actually know how many Harlequin series books are published in a year. Um, but the num- the diversity numbers went down. And I don't know... Um, if that means they just published a whole lot more and didn't think about maintaining a good ratio of white authors to authors of color. I don't, I don't know how that works, but I know like Kensington 
they're really working to sort of rebuild their Dufina line, which is actually the um the line that Rebecca Weatherspoon's A Cowboy to Remember came out in. Um, and that's her first traditionally published book too. So there there are definitely publishers who are looking at this report and going, oh man, or they're they are looking at this report and it's helping them actually make the argument for more. Um, which would be great, I think. Yeah. And I I say this every year and I I certainly don't expect the team at the Ripbottis to to do more work or different work. I, we're so grateful that they're willing to pull all this information together. But to me, it would be so helpful to know what the base numbers are for mm-hmm. some of these. Because, I mean, it, that matters. Because I will say, as much as I'm willing to to give Berkeley credit for intentionally seeming to increase in a way that it feels like was maybe inspired by this report, we also know that, again, they're part of PRH, which is the largest publishing house in the country by far. It, Penguin Random House publishes about 50% of the books that get published in the United States. And so it maybe there's a case to be made that they could be doing more or should be doing more. Mm-hmm. And it's just hard. Like a um, one that always catches my eye is Montlake, which is the Amazon romance imprint, which seems to publish just an astonishing number of books. But they're hanging out right around – well, now they're at 3.8%. I guess that's nearly twice their 2% last year. But – still not great. So for me, it would just be helpful to wrap my mind around this a little bit if I knew what the full spectrum that we were even looking at was. But, you know, again, I we've we've talked with uh, um, B and Leah about that before, and it doesn't seem like it's a, a piece that they're interested in publishing along with this. But yeah, I, like we said, not way better news. There's still so much work to be done. Mm-hmm. And it does... I think put into a very clear picture what institutional racism does to romance publishing or all publishing and how you have to very intentionally try to make change. It doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. And, uh, you know, the publishers that are growing their numbers of diverse publications, they are directly going against that concept that we would totally publish more. People aren't just just aren't submitting. And, you know, there's two things you can say to that. Either they're not submitting because they doubt you will publish them because of your previous numbers and showings, or you're not looking hard enough. Yeah. And I think that matters too. I mean, I, I remember, I'm going to get this wrong. So just take it for the nature in which it's meant. But mm-hmm. I saw a contrast once of the way that um, I believe it was John Oliver hires writers for his staff versus the way that Samantha B does for hers. Mm-hmm. And John Oliver was saying, you know, we do, quote unquote, blind reviews. So we don't have anyone's name. We don't have any photo of them. We just look at their resume. We look at their work. We, you know, hire based on what we've seen there, which is better than many, many people do. But Samantha B was talking about how they don't just ask people to apply. For certain populations of people who are underrepresented, they actually coach them in, this is how you apply. And this Mm. is what you need to, this is how you get yourself to where you need to be. These are the kinds of things you should think about. They actually go out sort of in a a more recruiting sort of style. And again, it's been a couple of years since I saw this. Um, So again, just take it, it's a general sense of how people may need to do these sorts of things differently. But 
I think there's a big piece of that in publishing. I think you actually I so many bridges have been burned at this point that I think you genuinely do have to try more proactively as opposed to just being like, oh, we're going to try to not be racist. Mm -hmm. Cool. But actually, maybe you need to do more than that at this point because of how badly we have done over the course of the last mm, 400 years, I would say, in this country. (laughs) Yeah. Give or take. Give or take. Give or take. Yeah. I mean, even like six, if you think about the other side of the country, but it's still. Sure. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, six being 600 as opposed to just just 6, six years. years. Yeah. 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 It's like, wait. Did we is there a part of the country where we haven't Oh, no, you mean 6 centuries. Okay. Yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> cool. But we will list uh, we'll link to the uh report on in the show notes so that you can kind of dive in yourself and take a look. One of the things that they did this year that I thought was really interesting was that they did break down um the imprints over the big 5 publishers, which is mm. worth seeing. Um, for better and mostly worse. Uh, and, you know, they always do a great job with the graphics and the data and just the research in general. It's it's a tremendous amount of work for them. And um, as always, we're grateful that they have done it. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of my favorite parts of this too is that they always have what their bestsellers were of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always a fun thing to take a look at too. Yes, it is. All right. So with that... We will move on to another sponsor. This episode is sponsored by My Way to You by Catherine Bybee. When a wildfire nearly destroys Parker's family home, it's just one more disaster to add to her mountain of stress. And now a mudslide threatens to destroy everything she has worked so hard to maintain. As a public works supervisor, Colin's job is to protect Parker's property and neighborhood from further damage. But it's a little hard when the owner of the land is a control freak who tries to do everything herself. Now Colin's working overtime to help Parker open up her heart, trust him, and let him in. This is the first novel in a touching new series from New York Times bestselling author Catherine Bybee. The book is inspired by the author's own personal experience with the devastating California wildfires. Bybee is the author of the Weekday Bride series, the First Wives series, and others. And Kirkus Review calls this book a fascinating novel. And according to Publishers Weekly, romance fans will be pleased with this tender love story. So again, that's My Way to You by Catherine Bybee. It is available now everywhere, and the link is in our show notes. So thanks to them for sponsoring the show. Yes, thank you to them for sponsoring the show. Trisha, you want to take this one? I will just say this. You are brilliant because we were talking about whether or not to do our episode about, you know, we were like, oh, we got all this stuff, the, like the world's a mess, and the Rip Bodice Report came out, and shows the world's a mess in a lot of ways and maybe should we do our adaptation show should we bump it and Jess was like well what if we do an adaptation and then we just keep doing them like one per episode until maybe things start to return a little bit to normal and I said Jess Pride you are a genius (laughs) and so uh, or uh, something like that hopefully hopefully that that sense came through in whatever I actually said Whatever it was, it was it was very appreciative. <laughs> and I am appreciative. So we decided to start with, with one that's probably, I, gosh, I would say probably the biggest romance novel, like full-on romance novel adaptation, maybe that has come out in the last year or so, partly because we're still waiting for the Bridgertons, because that one will be huge as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but Virgin River is 
a romance phenomenon. This I don't remember really if is. I've told you this, Jess. This is one of the first romance novels I ever read. I I vaguely remember that, but tell us more. <laughs> well, so I uh, there's actually sort of like a a prequel trilogy that something about Grace Valley, I think, that the Virgin River series is built off of. And it happened to be the case that when I started reading romance novels, um, the Grace Valley series was free or very, very low cost. So I read that. I was kind of in on it. So then I tried out Virgin River and I read probably the first six or seven books. After that, you, st- you start, it starts to be a lot. <laughs> um, and then Netflix last winter, so I think it was late November or early December, premiered a 10 episode first season of their miniseries based on Virgin River. And mm-hmm. I will say, even if you have not, I, it's funny because I even just say the name now as if it's not a bizarre name for a thing. <laughs> Virgin River actually is kind of funny. So if you giggled to yourself, good for you. <laughs> um, it is the story of a woman who is a, a nurse practitioner who has been living in sort of the L.A. area. In both the case of the book and of the Netflix series, she has suffered some traumatic events and losses. And so she kind of she kind of has a little bit of a break, like sort of says, like, I can't do this anymore. I'm going to this very tiny town of 600 people up in Northern California among the Redwoods. And I'm just starting over. Like, I just, I'm scrapping everything that happened before. I'm trying again. Uh, and it doesn't matter if I can't get my hair done every two weeks or whatever. Like, she's very much a, a city person in all senses. And then she goes to what is very much a little tiny small town um, and happens to meet Jack the bartender who runs Jack's Bar. Because, <laughs> you know, and also owns it. Jack is a former Marine, um, which is a big deal in both the book and the series. And so I, hmm, you know what, Jess, why don't you give your reflections first? Because we both watched this Netflix series. Yeah, and uh, you have a different perspective from me because I watched the series blind. I did not know what I was really going in for because I have not read Robin Carr at all. She's been on my list forever, um, but it it just wasn't a thing that I actually like sought out and honestly version river is still on my list to read sorry trisha so you know i went in and i was like i've got some time i'll sit here and uh, um watch an episode and just see what i think and you know i thought it was very well crafted i understood sort of the various characters motivation and all of that stuff that you need to get into a new series and all that stuff and then the first episode ended and i was just like expletive deleted hit next and then hit next hit next Mm -hmm. my husband comes home our roommate comes home they're like what's happening and i'm like i'm telling you we're finishing this tonight we're all invested in the Mm -hmm. whole thing and then it ends and we're all sad because there's only one season. Um, that's an overarching <laughs> reflection. Mm-hmm, fair. Uh, and there actually is a second season. They just, we don't know yet when it's coming out. Yeah. And I don't, I hope it was already completed because I know Netflix has halted several season filming things. Yeah. I think it was. I think maybe this winter it was done. So fingers crossed, we should be okay. Because it's a very easy show to film. You just need people in an empty town. Not even an empty town, just a few houses. 
to be fair, a beautiful empty town. Because yeah. what they do as they transition from scene to scene is show the gorgeous landscapes of like Northern California. It's so beautiful. Yeah, you'll notice. Trust me. Like I grew up in a very beautiful place in a similar part of the country and y- you'll you'll notice. Like you'll just see, oh, the sun rising over mountains and lake and trees all in one. Okay, all right. Settle down. Yeah. So here's what I will say about the difference between the two. So Virgin River is in a category of books that I think about as being not quite fluffy, more sort of like airbrushed in Mm -hmm. that the people have baggage, but no flaws. Like they are essentially perfect except for the baggage that they are carrying from their lives. And that's very much Mel and Jack, right? The the central Mm -hmm. couple here. Like Mel is dealing with various traumatic events that have happened to her within recent years. Jack has very serious PTSD um, as a result of his military experience. That plays a big role in both the book and the the TV show, but they almost deal with it kind of differently Mm -hmm. because in the TV show, they both have baggage and some flaws. And they also create a lot more, and this I think partly is the nature of the way that you have to make a TV series, they create a lot more barriers to the HEA for Jack and Mel. Mm -hmm. Because I would say by like a third of the way through the book, they're pretty much in and it's fine. And in the show, it is not fine for a long time. Maybe ever, we don't know. (laughs) Yeah, so that is one thing they do. They also emphasize more of the supporting characters on the show, which I think is to the vast advantage of the show. I think the supporting storylines are in a lot of ways some of my favorite parts of the show. So do they are like are those supporting storylines like sort of tiers? Are they like compiling a bunch of different books together? A little bit. So I think the most sort of like lovely, well, there are two lovely, delightful storylines. One of them is Preacher and Paige, um, who Preacher is the cook who works for Jack and was in the military uh, with him. And Paige, this woman who um, has a food truck of some kind. I can't remember. I want to say like pies, desserts of some kind. Yeah, I th- I feel like there are like muffins and cupcakes involved. Yeah, Maybe some so cookies. <laughs> delicious. Uh, and so she is a single mom. She has this adorable child. And their book in the series is the second book. Mm. And we're not very far into their relationship, even at the end of the first series season, but she doesn't even enter the picture until book two in the series. Uh. You know who you don't get really any, there's no romantic connection in the book between Doc and Hope McRae. So Doc is the doctor played by Tim Matheson, who you might remember as the vice president from the early years of West Wing. <laughs> and Hope is essentially the woman who like kind of owns slash runs the town and is the mayor. Like she's got all the money and whatever. You might remember her as Clark's mom from Smallville. That's Annette O'Toole. I got to tell you, I was like immediately invested in Hope. Yeah. Like, I don't, it's like, I don't know if it's just Annette O'Toole is one of those people that I am always drawn to and want to know their story, like no matter what she's in, or just like the character was so well built immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like the two of them together are great. They are. It's, yeah, you learn a lot about them over the course of the season. I, yeah, they're, again, they there is no romantic relationship between the two of them in the book. And there's a lot of history and stuff between them in the 
Netflix series, which I think is such a value add. It's so good. It's one of the most compelling parts, I think, of the series. Yeah. I will say one other thing about the series that I really appreciate, and it's even more true in the Netflix series than it is in the book, is that everybody in this series is above the age of 35. Most of them are above 40. And I think it I, it's just, it's so, so uncommon. I think in the book, maybe Jack is 40 and Mel is 32 or 33. In the show, I don't think they specifically mention anybody's age. But if you look up the ages of these actors, mm-hmm. most of them are in their 40s. I think the one who plays Mel is in her late 30s. Um, the guy who plays Preacher is going to be 50, oh. which is amazing because he looks fantastic. Oh. So I feel like maybe there's a type but i did the math i was like 1970 to 20 holy moly (laughs) he looks great yeah he does and there's also i think more of a no i know there's more of a diversity in the cast in Mm -hmm. the show than there was in the book which is another value add um but yeah i i really appreciate that and when i say more diversity i meant more racial diversity um but there's also more age diversity than you see in most romantic film or book series so that was cool i thought that was cool yeah that was one of the things i immediately picked up on because i was like oh gosh we're going into this this show that's set in a small town it doesn't matter what state it's in it's in a small town so everybody's got oh mm-hmm. so yeah uh, <laughs> like oh wait somebody read the room right <laughs> um yeah no which like i said is a is a huge value add and um they also they do have to because the original the first book came out i want to say in like 2004 2005 maybe maybe a little later than that but over the course of 10 years this series sold has sold over 10 million books like this is bonkers all these people are buying this stuff but another thing that changed is that uh it used to be that marijuana was illegal when the book came out and now it's legal and so they have to kind of do some weird stuff to create some of the same conflicts i don't know yeah there's a lot going on there oh before we move off of this so i do want to give a few content warnings so like i mentioned uh jack is um a veteran and so there are a few flashback scenes related to war violence he is dealing with some ptsd mm-hmm. mel is a nurse practitioner who deals as she's a sort of midwife i think maybe mm. even maybe she's both but she does a lot of uh, delivery, birthing, sort of OB kind of work. Um, there are issues of fertility. There is um, a loss of a baby in childbirth, um, which I thought was handled in a very sensitive way. But you should definitely know it's coming if that's a thing you're sensitive to. Mm-hmm. Um, and we start to get the beginning pieces in this season of an understanding of an abusive relationship. It's not on screen as of yet if i remember correctly but um it is coming so heads up on that and i will say like i think they handle all of it well so i'm not saying you know you're going to be deeply immersed in any of those issues but if any of those things are things that you're sensitive to you definitely should know that those are there use caution yeah anything else you want to say about virgin river jess on netflix i'm really glad that you talked about it a lot so i could actually remember to seek it out because I don't remember if it's one of the ones that was regularly auto-playing in my recommendations. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's one of those that you either know a lot about it or you've never heard of it, which is an interesting thing in romance, just as like a, a collection, a collective of 
printed materials because there are so many authors that are some people's like absolute faves that I've never heard of. And I'm really glad that Netflix is offering us the opportunity to explore more of this. And goodness gracious, Netflix, make more. Yeah, and feel free to let us know if you need to know what to make because we can tell you. We can totally tell you. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we did. Yeah. Didn't you do an adaptations piece? I'll uh, make sure to link to that in the show notes too. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, all right, Jess, let's close this out with some book recs. You know, it's been a rough week for everybody. I <laughs> just put in the show notes, let's just do book recs of whatever kind we want. Mm-hmm. So what do you want to recommend? What are you feeling good about? Well, I wanted to throw out that I am finally, finally, Trisha, you're going to be so proud reading Hot and Badgered by Shelley Lawrenston. I'm so proud. I'm reading really slowly right now, so I'm maybe a third of the way through it, but I have been enjoying the crap out of it. It's funny, it's weird, it's it's all the things you need right now to just completely immerse yourself into something and have it be just enough of this world to like be not be like hard science fiction but also just so out of this world that you can really enjoy yourself right now yeah and it's um so weirdly i happened to be reading the same book like at the same time i don't remember how that happened mm-hmm. um but it's 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 speaking of adaptations multiple times when i was reading it I was reading it and thinking, like, it almost seems like Shelley Lawrenston wrote this book as if she was writing what a book that someone would want to adapt. Right? Oh, like my you, gosh. That, like, quickness in the dialogue and the way that I just things move really quickly. And it's – I will say this. If you're reading slowly, you may start to run into some trouble because there are a lot of secondary and tertiary characters that can be a little bit hard to keep straight. But mm. don't worry about it. Just, like, lean in. Just read it. It'll be great. Um, But yeah, she's so funny and she's so good. And we've talked about her um, Crows series before on the show. And she's, yeah, she's, I think, one of the best romantic comedy writers writing out there. And the fact that she happens to be writing sci-fi is just fun. And that's like, I was going to ask you what, like, to describe what the book is about. But (laughs) I'm done with it. And it's hard to explain. (laughs) (laughs) You've got a honey badger shifter, not an actual honey badger. Um, and a bear shifter, not an actual bear. Read, my boyfriend is a bear for that. Sure. And the honey badger shifter has two half siblings. Actually, she's not even a whole honey badger. She's a honey badger slash wolf shifter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm, like I said, I'm not far into the book, so I don't know how that actually affects whether they can shift or not, or if they just have um, kind of the uh, personalities of their specified animals. And she and her sisters get in a lot of trouble all the time, and in part because of their father, who gets in a lot of trouble all the time. And she and the bear shifter run into each other in a very bad situation, and then find each other again on the other side of the world. And that's yeah. all I can really tell you right now, because there, there's like the middle of a conversation. So, <laughs> yeah, and it really is one that you just kind of it's I was going to say, like, I can't tell if it's character driven or plot driven, <laughs> because the plot is just sort of like 
long and sort of expansive and that involves the family stuff and it's complicated. I will say this, it, it in addition to the comedy of it, it has another thing that I love about Shelley Lawrenston's books in that there is a very much either family or found family element. In this case, it actually is family, both with uh, both with the bear shifter and also with the uh, half wolf, half honey badger. Like she's got these two sisters and um, he is a triplet. So he's got a brother and a sister who are, you know, very much consistently in his life and in the book as well. And I just, she just does that so well. Shelley, mm. Shelley Lawrenston just does that, um, you know, kind of family and group element so well that it honestly sometimes feels like the romance is a it's not secondary but there's not as much emphasis on the central couple i think as there are in other books and Mm. for me that's kind of a little refreshing sometimes i kind of like it yeah i'm really enjoying all of the shenanigans (laughs) shenanigans is a great word to use to describe that book i think that's perfect so speaking of families, I will offer – I will tell you what I have been rereading this last week. Uh, it will surprise no one that I have been rereading <laughs> The Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller, which is a book that came out last year that was one of my absolute favorite books of the year and one of my just all-time favorite it, – It's I, I'm not going to say it's a cozy kind of a romance because <laughs> it's about a haunted house, um, but I just find the people in it so cozy which is a weird thing to say, but it's true. Um, the, if you haven't heard us talk about this book before, the hero of it is um, a scientist. It's sort of like a <laughs> – he's a scientist, but he has a hobby <laughs> of not ghost hunting because he wants to be friends with the ghosts. So his friend says, so ghost social climbing then. He said, yeah, that's closer. That's about right. Um <laughs> And we've said this a hundred times, but I'm going to say it again. The way that this book was sold to us was that the um, person selling it, essentially pitching it, said, imagine if the uh, Chris Hemsworth character from Ghostbusters was a brilliant scientist (laughs) and a ghost hunter. And we were like, okay, sold. Sold. But actually, like, it's so delightful. He's just such a, like, good guy and the, um, the amazing, like, badass heroine in this book has had to deal with a tremendous amount of um, terrible circumstances. Her family is not supportive. Her late spouse was abusive. So content warning for that. It's almost entirely off page, but you should know that it's there. Mm -hmm. And she's trying to rebuild her life. And she just keeps sort of like getting basically like tapped on the shoulder by this scientist who's trying to like hunt the ghosts who are in her mansion or or socialize with the ghosts who are in her (laughs) mansion. And like, he's always just like happily grinning at her. And he's he very much takes her as she is, which I think is just a really – she's kind of determined to just do her own thing, make her own way. She had this awful marriage. She doesn't want to deal with it anymore. And he just really likes her. And so he just keeps, like, showing up, and it's it's just so lovely. Um, <laughs> the other content warning that I will mention is that um, there is some mention later in the book, again, mostly off-page, but it's still a very real thing, um, of abuse of folks who are mentally ill. So keep that in mind, too. But it – by and large, um, although it deals with those very serious issues, I think it's a book that's just very cozy and lovely. And again, that is The Widow of Rose House by Diana Biller. Oh, it's so great. It's just a delightful book. Um, how about an author I think that you and I both had on our list, Jess, for for, for re- books that maybe would be a good fit right now? Yeah, um, I, th- I think I thought of this as my happy place read. And what I've been doing f- for the past... Mm, three or four years, I guess, 
is spacing out books by Rebecca Weatherspoon. <laughs> and it's really hard because I wanted to just devour them all at once because they're so delightful and you know, not all of them are super fluffy, but she's got like a nice core of books that are brief and fun. So actually, what what's happened is I found her in the middle of her publication schedule and read forward immediately as each book came out and have been slowly working my way backwards. Yep. <laughs> um, um, and it's, it's just... Like, if you need a happy place book, there is a place in your life for Rafe and Zenny. Um, and, you know, plenty of other books. Her new book, A Cowboy to Remember, is just as fun, but a little heftier and a little heavier, just like on the heart. Um, but it's no, it's by no means like wildly angsty. And, uh, you know, she's, a delightful author. She's a delightful human. Um, and I just really enjoy her books a lot and they're definitely a happy place read. So like I have the feeling sometime in the next few weeks, I'll probably sit down with another book in the fit trilogy, which I'm reading like one a year. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, you gotta do what you gotta do. You gotta do what you gotta do. Right. Um, Cause there are authors where you can run out of their books and then, shout in emergency and i'm trying to not let that happen well especially if you don't reread uh i do so i can just reread um i will i will shout out treasure which is a lovely book also uh Mm -hmm. and the so sweet trilogy which is just delightful and one of the main characters in that series uh I don't think was based off of Keanu Reeves, but somebody made that comparison after the at least the first book was written, and Rebecca mm-hmm. was like, "Yes, that is correct." <laughs> uh, now that I know that you said that, you are one hundred percent right. And I will actually link to we did um an episode with Rebecca Witherspoon where we talked about sort of fluffy reads because she is so good at that, and Rafe connected with so many people in that way. Uh, and so, if that is the kind of thing that you are looking for right now. Just maybe take a listen back to that. And like I said, uh, um, I think that was, I actually don't have the episode number, but it was called Going Hard in the Paint with Random Objects, which I'm pretty sure was a Rebecca (laughs) quote. Uh, And like I said, I'll link to it in the show notes so that you can just find it um, and pull it up. And again, if you're looking for some recommendations that are a little lighter, that might be a good place to to listen as well. Mm Mm-hmm. And the only other book that I will mention, um, I, I talked about it a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to get too far into it, but Team Fison by Chase Ver- Verity is a it's just a short, lovely, delightful kind of a book that is, again, just sort of gentle and not even, f- I mean, I guess it's fluffy, but like there's some very <laughs> real things going on there. And I, mm-hmm. I don't say fluffy even in a bad way. I just, it's just kind of like sort of calming, I think. Yeah, that's a good word for that book. Yeah, and it's short, which I think if a lot of folks I think right now are maybe having a hard time really focusing in on a book. So short might not be the worst. Uh, mm-hmm. And we did talk about short books recently. So that's, again, maybe worth checking back in the in the podcast lines. But um, it's just a really delightful book about two people who are have met and find a connection and have to sort of believe that it could work out. So that's Team Fison by Chase Verity. And I'll throw out one last one that I'm really looking forward to reading. And I don't know if it's kind of um, gonna hurt to to read now that everything has been canceled for the spring. 
Um, sure. But Conventionally Yours by Annabeth Albert just looks really great. And I'm um, really looking forward to picking it up. And I, I have like a whole backlog of books featuring people who either meet at cons or are going to cons with their best friend forever and really want to declare their love or, or things like that where like the con is another character in the book. And for some reason, I don't know, maybe it'll be cathartic to yeah. read about like these huge gatherings when we're all gathering on the internet. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I think that could be cool. I, I like that. I like that. Uh, yeah, that's delightful. Yeah. Well, I think uh, you bring us home with an important point, Jess, which is um, even if you feel young and healthy and fine, stay home anyway. You're genuinely doing a service to your community if you stay home and read or listen to podcasts or do a jigsaw puzzle or, I don't know, have happy hour wine with your friends over FaceTime, which is what I did yesterday. It was delightful. Or, or you know, watch the entirety of virgin river in one day (laughs) i was gonna say but what do you do when that's done jess (laughs) then what (laughs) then Uh, then you can read it will tell you (laughs) yeah then you can read it and you can tell me uh what you think of the book versus the series but do stay home again both for yourself and for the folks around you no matter what you decide to do while you're there but we are we are thinking of you if you if you're looking for book recs in this complicated time Always, always go to Book Riot or feel free to contact Jess and I. Yes, you can. You can find me on the socials. Um, I'm on Twitter a lot right now, maybe more than I should be. Um, and that is Jess is reading, all one word on Twitter. Jess underscore is underscore reading on Instagram. I'm trying to up my uh, bookstagram game, but I have this thing where if I post about a book before I finished it, sometimes I don't end up finishing it. So mm. it might be a while before I post a photo of Hot and Badgered. <laughs> Fair. That'll happen. <laughs> and I am actually more on Instagram these days and less on Twitter. I think I started to realize I, I'm there, you know, every couple of days, probably eh, at least a couple of times a week. Um, but I started to realize the impact that that was having on mm-hmm. me. So I am more on the Instagram side, but I am at Trisha Haley Brown on both. And you can always email us at when in romance at, well, you can always email us at the email address <laughs> when in romance at bookriot.com. Please do, if you enjoy the show, feel free to rate and review it at, you know, whatever your podcatcher is. It does help other folks find it. And let's be honest, people might really need to be able to find romance podcasts right now. Mm-hmm. We don't know. But in the meantime, you know, we are thinking of all of you out there. We know this is a rough time for folks um, in lots of different kinds of ways, health ways, emotional health ways, financial health ways. Um, there's a lot going on. So take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Happy reading. And happy reading. Happy reading.